0: Welcome back to the flip side, boys and girls. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. Brian, it's our last flip side of April. Uh, sweeps are coming up. What are you doing to prepare? I, you know, I don't. We can't give away too much. I don't think.
1: I mean, we really, we, we really want to be a surprise to the audience. I mean, we can't. You know, especially since we have a, a, a post sweeps break that we're going on. So we really, in the next couple of weeks, we got a lot planned. I mean. You know, you don't want to give away too much. But, you know, the finale at MASH really didn't have anything on what
0: we've got coming, I think. That's fair. uh, I'm interested, frankly, at this point, what we're going to do for our fund drive in October. Like, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I I mean, the prizes that we're going to be able to offer are spectacular. I mean, they really are. You know, once you get to the $50 level, I mean,
0: what we can give you is pretty good. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, so many... So many things that we can give, but, but only if you can give to us, because we're, <laughs> we're really here for listeners like you. But, we're we're uh,
1: here to help people. I mean, I mean,
0: really help, help us help you.
1: Exactly. You know, I, yes. I I really do think that once Bloomington gets that tiki bar that I talked about next week, I mean, we'll really show what well, this what this podcast can do.
0: What about a tiki truck? Have we investigated that at all? Because like, because if you, if you, if you
1: so t- is this like a combination tiki bar taco truck. Yes,
0: yes. It's like a it's like a tiki bar, but it's mobile and it just moves like at random times. Because I think really <laughs> in, in the Midwest, if the party isn't moving, people might not particularly want to to be there because like you know parties get stale but if the party goes away you're like wait where'd the party go
1: right and if that tiki trucks t- trucks are rocking you know you know you, you got to check it out
0: exactly so, so i like the right. idea anyway so I, I did we, we had things to talk about tonight a lot of things going on obviously i i am actually this is the 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 acme of professionalism I think at this point I am podcasting with you while my beloved Blackhawks are struggling in game 7 so far against yeah. the Blues.
1: Yeah it's not it, it, it's a rough start but you know they they've been closing games strong so they you have. got you you've got
0: that going for you and i well, mean I, I think maybe there's there might be a little rope a dope unintentional or otherwise going <laughs> on here like let's let's let st louis punch themselves out and then you know the last two periods we've right. i mean they hell, hell they were down 3-1 in game 6 and they came back and scored uh, five straight goals so it's yeah. it's it's possible
1: absolutely it's possible and you have the uh you know probably the best player in the world or one of the three best players in the world skating for you you, anything can you can make anything happen it's the truth Um, so
0: i don't know we'll uh, see what happens but uh, yeah anyway let's so
1: yeah we've got a couple of leftover questions from last week's facebook post and if you're on generally you know this won't do any good since we're not live but oh we have another question coming from uh, ryan voris um, but we, so we, we, we've been soliciting questions from listeners on the Facebook and on the Twitter. So we have a couple of those again, our kind of new thing that we started last week that I thought was really fun, you know, crappy audio on my part, notwithstanding, um, and that was a really fun episode where we, you ask us a question are guaranteed to spend at least one minute talking about it. It's, again, um, another
0: way that we give back to you. And at the $50 support level, we can spend two minutes <laughs> on your question.
1: Ooh, I like where this is going here. And uh, <laughs> we also have a topic uh, that you had suggested uh, yesterday that I really, or over the weekend, that I really, really put a lot of thought into. You were
0: giddy about it. I loved well, it. I, I loved I, it.
1: I, my entire play, my Spotify mix for this week is all based around that question.
0: I resisted it, but I thought about doing that, yes.
1: Yeah, and, um, and so I actually have two playlists go- that I'm publishing this week. Nice! Um, uh, both related to the topic, but uh, as always, at first, what is your uh, craft beer of choice for tonight's recording? Uh,
0: so, you know, my craft beer of the night, I, I, I kind of went back and forth on it a few times, and actually, I, I, because I was a little delayed getting on, I, I finished it right as we were getting on the air. But uh, okay. uh, you know, but I decided I was going to go with something that is a little bit. It's not quite craft beer because it's not. It was on sale. Okay, to be honest with you, if I'm going to be. All full, right. But no, the uh, the uh, the Goose Island Green Line uh, Pale Ale, which is a very. I've I've had it several times, and I keep trying to enjoy it and and i don't know if the reason that i don't enjoy it as much as i should is because it's not good i think that's entirely possible or because i've ridden the green line in chicago before and and the green line is is far less enjoyable than the beer in whatever state that it's in but
1: all right uh, so there's like an association from the green line to the beer that's kind of hard to shake
0: it's it'd be kind of like if if someone if there was like a brewery near where you were at, and they named their IPA, like, the Scott Norwood. You know, like, it'd be be difficult for you to get your, your palate wrapped around that, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> you just take a drink, and every time you spill it to the left. I mean, right,
0: exactly. Now, I don't know. I'm, I just compared a, a field goal kicker to a, a mass transit line. I'm not sure where that syncs up, but y- you get the idea. Right. What about you? Um, I am
1: drinking again. Uh, I've had this beer before on here, but it is a homebrew from my brother in law. He made a Belgian bomb, uh, Bel- oh, Belgian white ale, and uh, having one of those, and always very well done. So, shout out to Bill Elton, my uh, brother-in-law for making beer for me
0: shout out to Marion hosa who just brought the hawks back within two one
1: there we go there we go it's starting now so this will be I,
0: great this will be great for the listener who's tuning in on like a thursday and is like right. guys we know who won the game thank or, you or somebody who's catching
1: up in in like three months
0: right <laughs> I, what they're binge listening to the flip side <laughs> exactly. i like i like that absolutely
1: absolutely <laughs> Mm. Um, all right, so we have a couple of questions. Uh, this is from your po- Facebook post last week. We're going to get ca- caught up on this one. Actually, it relates to uh, to the hockey uh, line that you just had, and it It's it uncorked quite a thread. This is from Is it Ryan? Is it Voris? Ryan Voris.
0: Ryan Voris. Yes. Ryan
1: Voris. Yes. Who's now up in my neck of the woods? He is. Uh, we studied under you in your neck of the woods. Best hockey dynasty.
0: Yeah, this was a tough one because I asked him for like a clarification as to what a what constitutes a dynasty, right? And his original definition, I think, only left like three teams since expansion, which I don't – I mean, I, I feel like that's not I'd, –
1: I'd say – so Ryan's definition on this Facebook is I'd say more than three championships in a six-year span.
0: And what was my response to him saying?
1: That uh, that uh, haven't been any dynasty since the Oilers in the mid-'80s, and the only other two teams will qualify, Canadians, 73 to 79, and the early-'80s Islanders. Right.
0: And, you know, so – I found that to be a little too limiting, A, because it's only three teams, and B, because the the state of hockey, I feel like even though we haven't had that many championships in such a short period of time, we've got, we've had at least, I can think of at least three teams who I would think would qualify as dynasties because of their overall level of dominance over the sport over a, a significant period of time. So, you know, so I would obviously the three that, that I mentioned, the, the mid-70s Canadians, the early 80s Islanders, the mid-80s Oilers, I would also yep. throw in the mid-90s to early 2000s Devils. I would, throw, yep. I would throw the Red Wings from the same period into that yep. mix, and I would throw the current Blackhawks and the current Kings into that yep. mix.
1: Both multiple cups within a... And ma- sustained excellence over that over a, a significant amount of time with more than one championship.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, oh, there's, there's other teams that I, I was kind of close on, like the Avalanche uh, from the late 90s, early 2000s. Like, they were close because they were a really good team, but they never quite – they were always – I, I felt they were always secondary to the Red Wings during Absolutely. that particular time period. Or, right. you know, I mean – And so, you know, there's there's been some other teams that have kind of – been been in the mix, the Flames in the late '80s, early '90s, maybe fall into that category. Uh, but no, that would be the the group. So, um, so my answer on this, uh, I believe on the Facebook, was actually the Blackhawks uh, from the okay. current era. And I don't just say that because I'm a big fan. I am, but I mean that's that's really. I, I I think that there's more substance to it besides just my fandom. I think that if you look at the era that we're in right now, it is it's kind of like comparing. You know the the Steelers of the '70s or the 49ers of the '80s to the Patriots today. It's like you know, yes, those teams won uh, more Super Bowls in a shorter period of time than the Patriots have, but but it was it was so much easier to build and maintain a roster of really top level players at that time than it is now. Mm-hmm. And you look okay. at this, you look at this Blackhawks team, and it's like every time they win a championship, they basically have to give up, like you know three players off of their top three lines and they have to go, you know, hunt for rookies and they, and they have to, you know, develop players. And, you know, they've managed to build around a core of about five guys. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Taves and Kane and now Crawford and Keith and, and I guess Seabrook and Hosa's has kind of been in that mix as well. But I mean, so many other pieces from, from you know the first couple of cups that they won are not there anymore, and the fact that they've been able to be as successful as they've been over that period of time, I think is a real, uh, real accomplishment, and it's one that, frankly, I, you know, imagine the the Oilers players or the Islanders players that would have gotten picked off in free agency if right. they'd had the current system back then. So right. that, that would be my answer. I mean, obviously the Islanders winning four straight cups. I mean, that's amazing in any sport. I don't care, you know, baseball, hockey, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just feel like it was so much easier to pull a team together back then that that it's not quite the same level of accomplishment as three and six at this stage.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you have to almost – in a way, you have to fight the idea of recency bias and you have to fight the idea of, I think – Dismissing a team like the current Blackhawks and their run just because, well, I don't want to do that because recency bias, they're new, and blah 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 blah. And I, and I think you you make you make a compelling case for that, that you know, all things you know, kind of all things being equal, and, and, and kind of you know, looking at at the actual um kind of state of the game in each era and what and the obstacles and and the and the kind of landscape of the game yeah you make a compelling case on that i mean i'll go I'll, I'll i'll just you know for me i would go old school on this um i would probably go canadians um, and, and looking at uh, I'm on I'm on their Wikipedia page, and as you know, Wikipedia is never wrong. Um, <laughs> and, and, and but this is kind of like the long view of a dynasty, and it's probably cheating a little bit. But the Canadians, in tw- and so if I, I gotta do my math real quick, and they won 16 Stanley Cups in 26 years right. from 1953 to 79. That spans from the Bellevue uh, uh, Rocket Richard era on through like the Gila Flora era. Of the late seventies, and that's probably cheating, but that's you know, they're 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 in a way they're just so definitive of what hockey of, of like that that kind of definitive hockey franchise, kind of like the 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 Yankees of the same era in baseball, or like the earlier Yankees, I guess it would be. But I mean, sixteen and you know, to win to average a cup basically every other year for three decades is. You know, even with without expansion and with only six teams and with kind of like the, the the control ownership had, you know, that's kind of kind of an unparalleled run. So I would kind of skew on that with no disrespect to any kind of the I, any more of the current ones, but that's just kind of a run that for me can't be to, really.
0: It's it's a fair answer. I mean, my in in my defense, I looked at it and said, you know what, I don't. I don't think it's fair to compare pre-expansion and post-expansion simply, totally. simply because of well, two reasons. One, I, I mean, during that era, I mean, I think the Red Wings and the Rangers were owned by the same company. Yeah,
1: uh, something I, ridiculous, that's, yeah. That's
0: not good for competitive balance. <laughs> and, and second of all... Um, it, you know, we think of hockey as a niche sport now. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was obviously not nearly as broadly uh, played back then. It certainly was in Canada, but even then, I mean, it, it wasn't. I don't think it, it it had quite. You hadn't gotten quite the systematic development of talent, and Montreal, you know, was able to tap into something really special. And I'm not taking anything away from them. I just think it was a total. It was like a. It was like a completely different game. It was like. Oh, right. It was like you know. Uh, it was like the nba before the three point line or before right. or yeah you know before integration or something like that
1: yeah no, that's and, that, and that's totally fair so, so i mean anyway right. um so what uh, any other final hockey thoughts on that before we move on to a couple of the other one questions that we had
0: um you know i will say that in looking back at at hockey's history over the last 30 years it is amazing how hard it is for teams to uh, you know get a solid run of of results you know at, at, the, at the upper levels of the sport going such a difficult sport from a playoffs perspective but that said it's like it is amazing how many of the same teams you see over and over again over a 35 40 year span maybe not like consecutive years but it's like right. it's amazing how the same franchises like once they start popping up they seem to keep popping up for long yeah. stretches
1: yeah that is amazing so all right so the next question we're going from sports to yogurt uh, my good friend Jared Favini asks Chabani versus Fage. I think believe it's Fage. F A G E. Believe that's Fage. Fage. I don't know. Fage. I don't know. I'm not. Uh, sure. Fage. I, I, are you a yogurt guy? No. All right. So um, is my wa- is
0: a- Do you, uh, let me ask my wife. Are you? Yeah, a, are please. you a yogurt person? No, she doesn't like yogurt either. Sorry, right. we're not much help on this one. All
1: right, so, so I I will stand alone in in fighting for Chobani. Um, <laughs> we're a Chobani household. It's it's a Greek yogurt. I've already been told that Jared already told me on this thread that I'm wrong. Okay, um, and I'm okay with that because and we're a Chobani household, but in actuality, I'm a Wegman's house house brand guy so um i kind of go with that but Shabani's an upstate new york company so i'm a fan i've never, never actually had fage so you know I, that's what we are I, with that
0: i will say uh, between the two and and again this is a somebody who does not eat yogurt i've heard of chobani i've not heard of the other one so there you go so, so that, that that right there just brand recognition i think is Huge. that yes. wins the battle it does so and this is a great this is a great topic from our very good
1: friend dr Molly Annity up at uh, Quinnipiac, her her topic Pulitzer prize winning pieces. What That's, about them? I don't know. <laughs> you know just has Pulitzer prize. I, I, this is one of those where like, I see the topic and, you know, ha- having interviewed enough people and seen enough interviews, I always, I don't know if you're like this too, but I start thinking, what way does she want me to go with this? I, what I, she, am I, am, you know, I'm pro Pulitzer. I think that they generally do recognize good work if they tend to be kind of situated on the coastal elite cities. Um, but I'm gonna look up the Pulitzer to see if there's anything I remember. But I'll let you take a whack this.
0: Thanks. Um, I, no, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I I think that I, I, you know, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, the, you know, the 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 Pulitzer prizes are obviously a you know an important part of journalism, and I. You know, be, we, maybe we should do a whole show where we just talk about them. But I'd like to like sit down and actually, I need to go back and read a bunch of them again because I, I'm certainly a right. little bit behind on on the reading on some of them. But uh, yeah, it's um, uh, it's. I will say this. I know this will sound weird uh, to to Molly or to you or to me because we're in this business. I don't think enough is made of the of the Pulitzer prizes. Okay, I I think that. Um, and, and maybe this is something of, of, you know, the old school journalism mentality of not like over promoting your stuff or something like that. But I really okay. feel like, um, if this is truly the best in American journalism in a given year, I feel like a lot more should be made of it. And in a lot bigger venues, like, I feel like there mm-hmm. should be a whole section of like, uh, you know the new york times or or of, of major magazine where it's just dedicated to talking about not just what the stories were about but about the writers i mean this is this is the top of your profession um right. and it made a lot of news among journalists and because we're on the bubble of of uh, self-congratulation among journalism that is twitter we saw a lot of it but i don't that's know right. how much of that actually penetrated the broader marketplace and that's really where it needs to go
1: yeah, it's interesting because looking over the list, like the public service category went to the AP for investigation of labor abuse tied to the supply of seafood in American supermarkets and restaurants. And that, uh, basically the use, reporting on the use of slave labor in fishing. Um, great, you know, great work, you know, an important, you know, that, like you were saying, important work that you feel like should be highlighted and it's a weird little thing i think it's always been a weird thing among journalists that you you seek out awards like you do awards you do stories a lot some stories are done for awards or for award season like some movies come out on oscar season you can kind of tell when uh a, a piece of journalism is being issued, being put out kind of for award season um but at the same time so you you, you kind of crave these awards but you kind of you know uh there's that weird idea in journalism where like you're not the the reporter is not the story and so right. it kind of fade away and there's like that weird humility. And you know, it's weird cuz like just as an example off the top of my head like Sarah Gannam uh winning the Pulitzer when she broke the Jerry Sandusky investigation and and all and, and the Penn State stuff. You know, wonderful thing, wonderful story. What always cracked me up about that was when like the national outlets would say she was retur- r- reporting for the small town Harrisburg paper and like Harris- Harrisburg's the state capital, yeah. and their circulation is over a hundred thousand. They're yeah. not the New York Times, but this is not like you know the 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 Altoona Shopper reporting <laughs> something.
0: Hey, you know, I, I, is- I've, I've gotten some great circular ads out of the Altoona Shopper. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, that, no, but I think uh, there, there's some there's some irony, you know. Like I, I think of a guy like Madison Bumgarner who just wants to go like ride his horse on his ranch and pitch and not be the center of attention and and he is forced to be the center of attention by journalists right be, because you know he's an intriguing figure and he's the most important player on that team and, you know, and, and it's it's uncomfortable for a lot of journalists when the tables are turned and right. they do high quality work and they're among the most important people, at least for a year in their profession. And they're like, well, no, it's not about me. And it's like, well, it is it to some degree. It is like in yeah. in this era, it has to be. And you can't on the one hand complain that journalism is dying and on the other hand, insist that it be a faceless monolith like well, it, it yeah. there there has to be. Uh, for lack of a better term there has to be some star power and that doesn't mean that y- the the reporter's more important in the story but right. but there is source credibility and and like it or not humans put more credibility in people that they know not people that right. they've never heard of
1: right and, and and as someone who teaches journalism classes and teaches teaches reporting and writing classes excuse me i would love a little more emphasis from from the reporter. Like, how did you get the story? How did you track it down? You know, I know there's, you know, if you have certain sources that you can't give away, and I understand, you know, some tricks of the trade you want to keep close to the vest, but I would love to be able to... To share with my students, maybe this is out here. Maybe Pointer does something on that, but like, like here's how I reported the story, or here's how you know, five ways I, you know, maybe a listicle or something like that. But just some way to kind of like, hey, here's this is really important, and here's how I did it. I think that could be really useful to a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, so we're on a couple questions from Twitter today. Uh, Again, Ryan Voris, who's really who's aiming for co-producer credit on this on this episode. What sports cliche needs to be most needs to be retired?
0: I'm going to let you start with this. You've been in, a, you've been reporting in a locker room more recently than me, so I, I'll right. let you start on this one.
1: So there is, oh, well, because there's an interesting way because we, we could do the the quote cliche, which is what athletes say, and kind of like the the narrative storyline cliche um, that that comes from reporters. Um, if I, speaking off the top of my head, I would probably go with, um, oh, let's see uh we just got to take it e- it's kind of a tie for me between we just got to take it one game at a time because it's one of those things that i think sound that that has lost all meaning for and which i think is kind of like the 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 spirit of a cliche that needs to go away that's been said so often is kind of mouth that um we just um that it, 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 it r- r- nobody really knows what that means anymore it's just kind of a one kind of like that kind of perfect empty phrase that that uh, that re- that you say, and you hear it both in a winning and a w- losing locker room. And I think the other one that, that that pops into my head, and this is again quotes from players and coaches, is well, we just wanted it more, or, or kind of tying it to effort. When I think you know, a- a- as we both know, uh, I don't know how often desire and wanting plays into the actual outcome of a sporting event, because I feel like a lot of times it's kind of more talent and execution based. So, you know, I can want to beat Michael Jordan in one-on-one way more than he wants to beat me. And I guarantee you that my desire is going to have nothing to do with the outcome of that because <laughs> he's still going to win. So that would – I mean, and so those are my two fast ones that I would think of. Well,
0: okay. So I'll, I'll take a slightly different atta- approach to this. I think that the the sports – Cliche situation that needs to go away the most is the post game press conference. Uh, Ooh, and so, like, I was thinking about this. This was actually brought up by one of my students today. We were doing we're doing our final projects in the class, and it's actually they have to sit down and do a ten minute podcast with me. Oh, nice. Talking about either the NBA playoffs or the NHL playoffs. I let them choose. But okay, um, but I was talking with uh, Nicole. Uh, I think it was Nicole uh, today about. Uh, nicole christine is is the student's name and and we were talking about um the the press conference that the Celtics had I think it was isaiah thomas was it Isaiah Thomas that had his kids up on the on the podium after the hawks game i 'm not sure uh, but anyway one of the one of the it was i think that 's who it was had his kids up on the podium after they beat the Hawks yesterday and then you know it was like okay this kind of compares with the Riley Curry thing from last year. And so she was asking me what I thought about all of that. And I said, you know, on the one hand, I think it's it, it certainly journalists would look at it as annoying because they're trying to go in there and get quotes and do their job. And they got some guys, kids up there, like saying silly things into the microphone. But on the other hand, I look at it and say, this is, this is athletes holding the press conference in the sort of contempt that uh, organizations seem to have held it in now for a long time, and it's like it kind of lays bare the fact that not a whole lot really gets said in right. that situation that's worthwhile. But it's like everybody right. does it. Everybody goes in, gets the exact same quotes. It ends up coloring stories in, in much the same way, and it's like it, at, some, at some point, you almost have to look at that and say, we're not really getting much out of this situation like you might occasionally get a gotcha quote or a gotcha moment um and i guess maybe it's worth it for those situations but but in terms of like day-to-day like mundane games it's um it's not generating a whole lot that that couldn't be better generated i think in other situations where there's press contact with players and coaches
1: I mean, I think you hit, I mean, Jesus, I wrote a dissertation, literally wrote a dissertation about this. Um, I, I agree with you. And I didn't see this Isaiah Thomas thing, but I had written about the Steph Curry uh, thing last year. And, you know, I, I have no patience for reporters whining about that. Yes, you have a job to do. Yes, you have quotes to do. Yes, you have a good deadline to do. If you can have fun and get a good little anecdote quote lead out of his daughter being up there, then you get out of show business. I mean, you know, stop taking yourself so seriously on it. I do agree with you kind of in theory that the press conference is pretty pointless. And to be fair, I don't know of many print reporters who love the press conference. It's very much a product for, I believe, for television and for the broadcast media, much more so than of any use for, for for print media. Again, I'm, your mileage may vary on, on experience. Um, the, the 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 only corollary I would say is that if, you, if we're going to phase out the press conference, which we do because it's an institutionalized part of the whole thing, you have to then have players available to speak to the media in the locker room. The reason you have the press conference is that they're not, you know, Steph Curry's not in front of his locker talking to the media. It, they put him up there. And, you know, yes, okay, and, and and so if you're not going to, if you want to have the conversation of should we be interviewing athletes after game at all, that's another conversation. But it, but I, I feel like if you want to get rid of the press conference, then you have to, you have to have some some other press press contact, like you said, that allows for you know a potentially more meaningful in, in, in exchange for the reporters. It kind of lets them you know build at least a little bit of a face-to-face relationship with the athletes so that they're not, you know, I, I, I feel like in a way that the, that one, those kind of one-on-one and small group scrums would eliminate the whole kind of gotcha questions and eliminate a lot of the, like, you know, I think of Greg Doyle, you know, putting on a show at a press conference because, um, you know, the, a, that's part of his shtick, but B now he's, you know, he makes that show part of the column and he's not the only one who does it. He, it's just the name that popped into my head, but, I don't know. I feel like that if you eliminate that if we're going that if you want to phase out the press conference correctly then you still have then you have to make up for it somehow or else we're really re- con- rethinking kind of the whole sports journalism I, time which is not a bad thing but right. then you have to recognize that that's a total like, I agree. Thing.
0: I'm not saying I. I think there. You know, it needs. If you're going to do that, it would have to be replaced with something else, mm-hmm. uh, that would provide that sort of access. I just, I just question the utility of it. And look, is there limited utility to it? Yes, in those situations where you do have things that, uh, you know, big games or whatever. I see it, but you know, in an like an 82 game NBA season. Oh God! Uh, yeah, 80 of those press conferences are probably worthless. Right. Uh, Although. Know, uh- <laughs> although, although for some of it, like it's weird because it
1: looks like a press conference, but I've been in enough where it's basically just the scrum. Like it'd be the normal scrum. They just put seats down in a podium right. so that right. it, you know it's just a little almost more comfortable for everyone, <laughs> and I can appreciate that. You know, so you're not. We standing can't have in that. Conference. We can't. We,
0: we we can't have more comfort. We that's, can't have comfort. That's, we can't that's have wrong. comfort. No. So okay. Um, so, so, uh, so as far as like an individual sports yes. cliche, because I know that that's what Ryan was probably getting at. Um, gosh, I. I I think it's it's probably something um gosh that's it's a, a tough one because there are so many like I, I to the point that I don't even know if you could kill enough clichés for anybody to notice that one had died because I feel like another one would just grow to take its spot. I mean I obviously, you know, I I think my biggest one is, you know, X is a great team. Like that Oh like, yes. Like that, yes. that that constant, you know, that's a great team we're playing, or like that's you know, that it's it's come on. Like really. Mm-hmm. Um i I again, I guess I understand it I'm A ia lot of times I think that much of this stems from this philosophy of coaching psychology and not giving your opponents like bulletin board material, and yet when I think about it, I'm like, do we really know? Has anybody done a scientific study where we really found out if that led to a team playing better or not? Like, yeah. like I, I don't really... I mean look athletes and coaches you know use all kinds of strange things to get themselves psyched up and and I mean who am I to judge i guess what works or what doesn't in their own minds but is there really a clinical demonstration that you know uh you know coach x or player x said these things about this team and and that you know we saw that that actually had a motivational positive impact on their play i it, it just everything seems so like kid gloves-ish and and yet you look at like what people really seem to enjoy in media and they really enjoy a back and forth where you're being very blunt and very honest about how the what you feel the other team is you know think about wrestling for example like we don't imagine if imagine if like nfl coach quotes were used in wrestling as opposed to the quotes (laughs) that are actually used in wrestling like people stop watching it tomorrow
1: that's fantastic yeah yeah and, and and like you know they're disrespecting us like don't you know, like you know, the the do 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 the players on the Buffalo Bills really think that Rex, that Bob, Bill Belichick, you know, is like they're a good football team oh, oh, over there, like something like that. Oh, 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 oh yes,
0: go ahead, caller. I would like to recant my earlier um you, my 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 uh my choice, and I want to put a new one in. Okay. And my least favorite sports cliche. I just realized what it is. Nobody can take this away from us. Okay. I. Th- th- I. I can't, okay. I can't think of anything dumber and more self-aggrandizing than okay. nobody can take this away from. First of all, no one's trying to take it away from you. <laughs> Second of all, um like the the, the idea that the 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 status of your championship is ever going to be in question long term i mean even the ncaa won't take national titles away from north carolina like nobody (laughs) nobody's going to take your your title or your accomplishment away from you that's just not how it works it's just it's like (laughs) like a dumb self-motivational thing that just needs to go away
1: oh they, I, I feel like half of sports is just a dumb, some self motivational thing,
0: which makes uh, me wonder, like, why, like, why doesn't more people, why don't more people talk about that? Like, why, yeah. why is that? That stuff isn't just accepted. It's like it's like aggrandized. Like, yeah. oh, look at these people with their self confidence. It's like these these people lack so much self confidence that they have to pump themselves up right. with fake motivation on a regular basis. That's not good. That's not. We don't want that. We don't want our
1: kids to know about that. Yeah, do we. That's that. Yeah, that's great. Like Michael Jordan is like you know I'm just supremely confident. Michael Jordan. Makes up insults so that and, and, we, and to, to to fuel himself and he's held up as like this great champion like that is not healthy no it's not good at all and, and it's funny that you know um, uh, anyway we'll move on because because <laughs> I'm getting I, I'm, am I getting too you know you, Brian no, you, Brian, you, Brian you can't take this podcast away from me okay uh, I, I was just, I was about to go to, down a sociology rabbit hole and and, and you got we got to get people donating at the hundred dollar level to make that happen okay we have at chronic blusher. Did we are we two two. We're two two. Yes, there was a lot of jumping on and the it, Skype I, so I And I believe it was Andrew Shaw on the power play. Very nice, very nice. <laughs> All right, so so at Chronic Hoosier, this is a really good question. Favorite album slash drink pairing. Oh boy. Example: kind of blue with a Balvenie twenty-one year old, Dark Side <laughs> Ultra leg <Kool-Aid, laughs> uh,
0: I love Chronic Hoosier so much.
1: All right, so this is good. This is re- This is a really good one. Because because um, the kind of blue with any kind of really good old single malt is at the top of any kind of list like that. I, I think.
0: I, okay, you know it's funny. Okay, so kind of blue, I'll give you. But then, what do you what do you pair with Bitches Brew? Mm. Because like that's my that's by far my favorite Miles Davis album, and it is not sure. an album that you like sip on an old Scotch with. Um, no, no, like that's more of like. Um, Man, I don't even know. Like, it's like, is 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 there some absinthe available? You know, I mean, <laughs> so, something like that. Um, okay, so part of this issue is, and I, I'm curious what you think about this. It's like the, the the idea of what's the what's the most recently recorded album that you really think of and listen to and and embrace as an album, like a full suite of songs. Huh. 'Cause I feel like that's gone away to some degree. Like there there have been a few. Right. But uh, you know, but but I feel like the album is an event. Like I, when in in preparation for our nineties question, I was going through and trying to think what were the iconic albums of right. the nineties, the ones that I would really like like I love Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones, you know, it came out in nineteen seventy two. You know, Dark sure. Dark Side's a great album. Uh you know, the the you know um this uh, gosh abbey road's a great album i mean there's there's lots right. of great albums from the 60s and 70s there's a couple right. from the 80s but it's like that that were really designed as album
1: right, albums right. like you got that abbey road medley the second side of the album which right. is all basically one track right. so
0: you know so i was trying to think like what what was the last really like like dynamite like knock your socks off like you know like first song to last song album that you consistently would sit down and listen to in the same style of those Huh.
1: That is tough because I'm such a shuffle guy right now. I'm going. I'm even going. I'm on my Spotify and on my iTunes, looking at at just recent stuff, and I don't know if there's anything. Um, and and, and, anything. I don't know if I listen to music like that anymore, to be honest. When I think of albums, right. So I, I mean, I can think of, like, like, like. So to answer Connor Hoosier's question, I think you know I like the kind of blue with a good single malt. I think that. Kind of classic outlaw country with some. Good... You got to be more
0: specific than that. You got to oh, give it okay. a, a specific All right. album. All right, let's. See. Okay, okay. So
1: let's go. uh Let's go. Red he- Willie Nelson, redheaded step. No, I got to make sure I get the right Willie album here. So, think <laughs> on this one. so um I love this. So I have because there are like three different w- Willie albums I could go with. I want to make sure I get the right one. Uh, let's see uh you're just gonna leave me hanging here while i while while i google stuff i, I
0: think this is dynamite radio this, this
1: is what this is what the people tune in
0: for <laughs> that's right um
1: all right so i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with what with, with what beer what what kind of beer we're gonna go with um i'm gonna go with this is gonna sound it's gonna be beer
0: okay it's folks, gonna be gotta, a beer we so we it's gonna be, be like a
1: it's going to be like a mid-level lager. So maybe like a hmm. Heineken or something like that. You know, just an easy drinking summer right. summer beer and we're going to go Stardust by Willie Nelson. Okay. Cuz just a good late late you know, late week summer evening, you know, campfire optional but just you know that that classic country sing along with after a couple of beers like that's kind of a perfect mix, mix for me
0: yeah i think that's that's that seems like a logical a logical pairing i've been i've been pondering this since i saw that question pop up i'm i'm struggling with it a little bit i i will say um you know i think that there's a there there's there's a there's a connection that i would make Um, I'm trying to think of the album that would pair pair best with like the really good album that would pair best with this. I I will say this: part of the problem, like a lot of my favorite albums over the course of the last 15 to 20 years or so, and even like the ones from the early '90s, like I was thinking, okay, like I really I I I really like Ten by Pearl Jam, which is another story, like how that fits in their overall canon and all that. I get that, but I really have always enjoyed that album, but that's not really a it's, it's, it's a tough album to drink with. Like, it's right. like, what do you, like, what do you really pair with that? That makes you think, Oh, you know, this is, this is, this I mean, is, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not, it's yeah. not quite the, the zeitgeist of the album, uh, right. to, to it's, 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 it's aggressive and it's moody and, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's earnest. And... It's over almost overly earnest. And I, and yeah. I'm not sure that there's a lot of, uh frankly a lot of alcohol that fits all of those moods. Like even I mean, maybe like a gin and tonic or something maybe, like that. Yeah.
1: But that's even but- too light for what you're going with. Like gin and tonic I imagine like, like what- a smash mouth type
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, you feel silly if you're drinking a gin and tonic and black comes off, and, <laughs> and you're just like, you know, well, this is this this seems inadequate, right. Um But yet, yeah, like a but like, like a Jack and coke maybe. Well, actually, and so I got to thinking about coke? that, and and actually, I think Johnny Walker Black and Ten go together really mm-hmm. well because it's. It's enough on its own, and it's got its own variety of right. of, of emotions to it. And uh, and by the time Jeremy comes on, you're you're normally feeling a lot of the emotions of the album. I think by that stage, <laughs> that's um, good. Yep. You know, I would say there's some you know there's some lighter side stuff. I mean, I I think that. Um, you know, I've always been a fan, uh just just to be like in in the general mood of it. Uh if I can throw all eyes on me by Tupac on and, and uh and have some gin and juice, uh that's a that's a. even though it's not quite gin and juice. Yes, and and,
1: it... and it's not gin and juice the actual song. Correct.
0: But it's but it, it feels correct. All right. Uh, yeah. Unquestionably within yeah. that. So yeah, that would yeah, that, those I, were the two that I initially came up with, and I, yeah. I, I'm sure given more time I would have more to say.
1: Yeah, and I tend not to think of it like I said in terms of albums, but like you throw on like the outlaw country XM station or like classic country on the on on, on your cable music choice, and, uh, and 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 a couple of beers on a summer night, and it's a good night. You know, that's you know the 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 most obvious one I kind of pair with. Drink, you know, al- al- album music and drink pairing for me. So, um, all right. So let's get to kind of our main bar question. These have all been appetizers, really, for the. Uh,
0: almost for the too main. much. These are these are like Fogo de Chow appetizers. Like, you know, <laughs> we're like we've almost not left enough room for the meat.
1: Right. But but what we'll, but we'll do this is this, this is a good question. So you attested me this over the weekend and I'll let you introduce it.
0: Uh, so my question was very simple. To, to Brian earlier, what is the most 90s song? So we, we've talked a lot about the 90s mm-hmm. and we've talked about, you know, you know, there was a thread that I had on my Facebook where it was like, you know, what are your what are your what's your favorite 90s artist? What's your favorite? Which I do want to talk to you about that. Maybe not on this podcast, but your favorite okay. 90s song or your least favorite Did 90s, I- or your artists, whatever. But I got to thinking, it's like, you know, the 90s were an interesting decade, because the the very beginning of the 90s was more like the late 80s. And the end of the 90s, kind of, you were already sliding into the 2000s. And from a musical perspective, it felt like there was a finite window of music where it really felt like fully like the 90s, like when you, when you heard that th- those songs or those artists, it's like, man, this is a real 90s vibe. And, and it's right. funny because we, like we think about the 60s as having all this great music, and it did, but the 60s had a similar thing. Like what sounded like the 60s, really you're talking about like 63 to like late 68, early 69, yep. before it started, sounded like the 70s. Uh, right. Which to me is the sign of a great musical decade. But anyway, my overall question was, what... What song to you best encapsulates the '90s? Like when you hear it, you just—it's like it's like the, the totem for, so then, for '90s okay. music. And so, uh, okay. so I'm curious as to what you were, um, what you had to say about all. Yeah, of Yeah,
1: so that I mean, a lot to say about this because just to situate us too. I mean, I was born in '77. You were born in '79. Correct. So we so we both kind of came of age really musically in the early 90s. Like we listened to it beforehand, but like that, I think for both of us, that like 91 to 94 era of grunge was really, and of gangsta, you know, it's the age of grunge, it's the age of gangster rap. And that's kind of when, like for me at least, and I, I think for you too, I would assume music kind of kind of took hold. And that's kind of like, you know, that formative time for us. And so I was thinking back on this because 91 what a year! You know, you look back at at, at just you know ninety one. Some of the you know, I can think of four formative albums for me that came out in ninety one. You had Metallica's Black album, which is the Enter Sandman album, right. which is really for me the gate. Well, a friend of mine gave me that on a mixtape, and that was the gateway drug to for music being something important in my life. You had Nevermind by Nirvana, which probably, arguably, the most important long term album coming out of the nineties. Um, certainly in the top five, you would say. Pearl Jam 10 and for me REM Out of Time just a hugely influential album for me personally um and I think the Chronic by Dr. Dre was that was that 92 I think but I, still that that I think that was 92 but that's you know it, it kind of all blends together into that I think it was 92 um and it was, it's really interesting to think about cuz like you have that early 90s st- and it's so it, it, you know it's so long ago now but it's funny because you you almost forget how like embarrassing almost embarrassingly earnest the early 90s were for a lot of culture like you like Pearl Jam was just so earnest and like heartfelt and like trying to make it matter and like this is you know on Broadway this is the era of rent and like that very earnest music and you know it it was it was it's funny because he yeah I've read this before like how in the early to like mid '90s, youth culture was very much like college age and like just er- recent college graduates who were making the very popular music and kind of like the tastemakers on it. And how that's very much changed over the past twenty year twenty twenty five years, and to, to the point where now it is very much, you know, the thirteen year old, thirteen to sixteen year olds who are kind of very much in a lot of ways driving culture and driving music and that's not a value judgment that's just kind of how how it's gone um so when i was looking at that i have let's see my playlist for this week i have 17 songs that i kind of feel like are 90s songs um i'm gonna read off a couple uh, uh, actually uh, what the heck i read off all of them except for my number one 90s song okay so okay we're gonna start with number three because then i have my top two so here are some of them only happy when it rains by garbage okay uh, County Blue Cars by Dishwalla <laughs> which came back to me today, and you know, not the so, so I should say, when I'm making the, this kind of 90s list, I'm not saying these are the best songs for the 90s, I'm not saying these are the most like lasting, definitive. These are lists like the what's almost like to go back to what we were saying, what's kind of like the cliche 90s when I think 90s with all of that. By right. the way, I didn't the, the sidebar, yes, I didn't realize till like shoot last night maybe that nirvana had put out their their 1992 Reading set as a live album and apparently they did this like six years ago yes they did welcome to 2009 for brian last night but oh Oh. my god that's just a reminder listen to that and i should say what's the most 90s thing not just that album which is a remarkable set it's one of those great things where you like you remember how great Nirvana really was for yeah. all the hate geography around Kurt Cobain. Like, wow, they were good. And they made that sound with three instruments. But the dancer dude that was on stage for Reading, I don't even know. I don't remember his name. It was, It's on Wikipedia. But for no reason, there's just this random dude dancing on stage the whole set. And it's <laughs> wonderful. Um, so anyway, back to my list. We have, I don't know if you remember this one. Bound for the Floor by Local H.
0: One of my favorite songs.
1: Great. And uh, the best use of copacetic ever in a pop song.
0: Yes. Um, underrated so we, Underrated album, too. But anyway. That's,
1: yeah, very good album. Yeah. So we have uh, uh, my, my one of my rare ventures into, into the hip-hop world on this list. Mo Money, Mo Problems. Yeah. Uh, Notorious B.I.G. with that, Puff Daddy. Again, no. just kind of that quintessential 90s sound. That was everywhere. So, yep. Glycerine by Bush. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't That album is kind of like kind of classic 90s grungy or angsty guitar rock.
0: It's one of the bands I've never really liked from the 90s, oddly enough, like, and and all the elements are there, but Bush has never really done it for me. But anyway, well, go,
1: yeah, go, but, yeah, yeah. So we have so we have All Star by Smash Mouth yeah. and really any of those Smash Mouth songs, you know, get uh, K- K- walking on the sun. Yeah. um I uh, uh, can't get enough of you, baby. Like I said, we were watching "Can't Hardly Wait" last night. And that was really um, preparation for this show.
0: Um, Have I, I? I've not explained to you my theory that Smash Mouth was actually the first 2000s band. As opposed-
1: no, but I, no, but I'll <laughs> totally buy that. I will totally buy that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I mean, you got waterfalls by TLC. Uh-huh. Um, which is notable mainly because my, my lovely wife can do the left eye rap from that that just always gets censored from the radio flawlessly. Right. right. Uh, a, 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 a very close to the top list song, Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. Yes. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? I keep clicking down here. Uh, Closing Time by Semisonic. Sure. We also have, when I was finding this on, on Spotify, there's actually a 20th Century Masters, the best of so- Semisonic. And it's like a whole album. Is it's that not, necessary? It's not just this song twelve times. <laughs> 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 like, um, like someone at
0: the record company was really optimistic about that collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, we have this is actually
1: a song that that some of these are mocky songs. This is a song I actually still really like, but it's a very '90s vibe. Uh, "Bullet with Butterfly Wings" by by the Smashing Pumpkins. Sure um hunger strike temple of the dog man if you want that earnest early 90s seattle grunge song that's this is it right um uh my wife wanted me to put this on here because you know and, and i love my wife so i put it on here because you loved me by celine dion jeez okay yep um and uh wonder wall by oasis yep. yep um praise you by flat boy slim yeah uh it, it's just you know the the uh, the 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 poor man's Moby. It is um, yeah,
0: very very the, the homeless man's Moby.
1: <laughs> I put this on here. This is my last edition. I I thought of it while I was doing a, another mix. Do you know the song uh, "Not an Addict" by Kay's Choice?
0: That one I'm not familiar with.
1: All right, it you know it's it's a pretty good song, but again, just kind of as I was going back through this, it struck me as one of those very '90s songs. So my top two '90s songs, like quintessential '90s songs. When you sent me this text, I believe it was Sunday night, Saturday night, I believe Uh, Saturday night. I think, yes. um, My initial, my first thought that went in my head was Just a Girl by No Doubt. Okay. Um, Again, not not saying this is a good song, but that's the first thing came out. My my
0: least favorite 90s band. But anyway, go ahead. All right.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. So my my, my pick for the quintessential, the most 1990s song, Two Princes by the Ben Doctors. Really? Yeah. Interesting.
0: Interesting. Again,
1: it is not a good song. But like you kind of you know it, when you think of the '90s you know goofy white dude jangly guitar song hmm. you know I, yeah just it it, it that kind of strikes me as quintessentially
0: '90s. Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that one I I guess my my thought on on Two Princes is that that was one of the ones that to me almost felt more. Late '80s, that early '90s, like the Spin Let's Doctors had a vibe about them that was that was a little more. They're still around, apparently. Uh, no kidding! They, Come on. Did, did I hear them. They're like the Jam station on XM every once in a while, <laughs> uh, which I think is hilarious. But right. But yeah, well,
1: yeah. I, you know, I, I should say the absent. You know, the Jim Blossom should be on my list for a uh, kind of quintessential '90s songs too. Well, okay.
0: So let me. So I, like that. yeah, so, go ahead. So I had five that that I felt like summed up. And I, okay, now to be fair, I'm 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 not I'm not integrating hip hop into this, and I'm also not integrating pop like pop <laughs> pop into this. I felt like those were different arguments because to me, like the '90s still feels and and smells and tastes like alt rock. Sure. if i was i could do a completely different hip hop list uh mm-hmm. and and uh and would be perfectly happy doing so but um i i have two i have two honorable mentions before i get to the five so okay. so one is come as you are by nirvana which was Absolutely. which yeah. was the thing about Nirvana, as, as 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 critical as Nirvana was to the evolution of music, the acceptance of, of alt-rock, uh, you know, that becoming kind of the new youth mainstream, Nirvana was always a little too um, depressed to really be, like, truly mass appeal. Like, I mean, I, I think that they they were mass appeal. it was like Teen spirit was crazy but it was more like it was like a moment rather than than you know a a worldwide embrace by like all of the people that would need that would eventually embrace '90s alt rock in in its most poppy and and accessible forms. Like, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is like it had a lot of rough edges, which I love, and I think it's what a yeah. lot of people love about it. But it's kind of like saying that you know, like the Kinks were like the the best or most representative yeah. '60s group. It's like they were yeah. they were amazing, but they had so many like hard edges to them that they they really didn't represent the era because they were so uniquely unto themselves
1: that's fair that's fair i i I, the kinks are one of my favorite bands of all time and i do love come as you are has you know we know that dave Grohl's is a great drummer but the drumming in that bridge and into the final kind of kind of chorus is just stunning. I'm not a drummer and I listen to that on repeat because I yes, love it. But absolutely. Continue.
0: Another one completely different uh, like uh, element of this, but I'll go with Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. Um, <laughs> because it was like like it's got a it's got a great melody to it. And I, I was it was between that one and um, and the the Dawson's Creek theme by I don't want yes, to by, by Paula Cole. It was Cole. the worst
1: concert I've ever seen by yeah, the way.
0: Exactly. Like but the the but it's like it's like this almost soft FM Aesthetic that mm-hmm. creeps in uh, to to alt rock and somehow like finds a little bit of space within it, and I always thought that that was thrilling uh, that, that, right. that 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 could have existed within that. But anyway, the five <laughs> the five from a sound perspective, and those both of those were from a sound perspective more than like I love those songs or whatever. But the five from a sound perspective, in no particular order, um, we've got. Uh, you mentioned the Gin Blossom, so I'll go with Hey Jealousy. Absolutely. Which yep. which just has, it's like the birdsy and jangly pop sort of thing for the 90s with, yep. with that sort of angsty lyrical content, which is really kind of, to me, that's like the common thread through all five songs is like mm-hmm. that angsty lyrical content. So that's one of them. Yep. The Distance by Cake. Ooh, good call. Uh, yeah, which is a, a more rocking song than the rest of them except for maybe one, but uh, right. but certainly uh met up that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um Plush. Ooh, yes. By STP. STP. And that mm-hmm. was a that was a tough three-way battle between that song, uh Interstate Love Song and 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 Creep. By oh. by STP, not creep, I, I, not, not creep I, by Radiohead, but the right. other creep.
1: I, I was actually gonna go. I actually almost did "Sex Type Thing" by STP. That, that, was, that very clearly made my list. Another, another but, good one.
0: Yeah. Uh, the the fourth one was 1979 by Smashing Pumpkins. Yep, that album, yeah. But then the one and, and this is the and I I went back and forth on this a lot, but the one I feel like just from a sound and kind of hard to understand lyrics perspective that really when I when I hear it it just sums up the 90s and that era of music perfectly is December by Collective Soul. Oh, yeah. I mean 'cause it's got the it's got the kind of distorto riff that runs all the way through it it's got lyrics that I still don't understand twenty years later mm-hmm. um it's but it's got a catchy hook in the chorus that makes it impossible to forget and it's it's got that you know stop time. Uh, bridge towards the yep. end of it, like all of those elements felt just they're they're like cliches, but in that song, I mean that song came out in '95. Yep. They they were still new enough that it just kind of crystallized what that musical pop movement was all about. And you know there were other songs that probably did each individual element better. Very few of them brought them all together like that.
1: That's good. I'm funny when you're talking about the the lyrical. Hard to understand. I thought you were gonna go Yellow Lead Better, which is a song I would add to this list too. And it's one of my favorite songs. I absolutely adore that song from a, especially from a guitar perspective. Right. But from that you know, from the lyrics where I think I've read I, I I might be wrong in this one, but I might might be remembering that Eddie Vedder really doesn't know the lyrics he to the yellow lead better. Like he was he just sang stuff. And... It was. It
0: was. It was. It's supposedly about a guy whose brother dies in the first Persian Gulf War, and and they go walking in in Seattle, and they are walking by a, a porch with an American flag, and his friend like salutes the American flag, and the people on the porch they they don't wave at him because he's got long hair. Uh, I I think that's the plot of the song. That's what I've deduced <laughs> over the course of 25 years. So feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. That, that's I, a gr- I, that's a great song. It, just to me, it feels like it was recorded in 1968. No, um, absolutely, yeah. You know, and and I do admire that. But it, it's yeah, it's 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 an interesting. It's an interesting little piece of of the the pearl jam puzzle that that yeah. deserves attention and I don't, you know perhaps doesn't get as much attention as it does deserve,
1: yeah, so we have as our definitive ninety songs I guess uh, December by Collective Soul and two princes by uh uh by uh I don't even remember who did that band. The Spin Doctors. The Spin Doctors. Yes. Um. So definitive. I don't remember the band's name. Uh, I think we may have to put put a poll out into the field to see uh to see which of these our our listeners view as more definitive '90s. So I will. Uh, one of us can post that to to Twitter and we'll share it out there as and, uh and as the most definitive '90s song. And if you want to write in another one of your. A choice of your of your own. Feel free. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. It's about, tough about this. Yeah,
0: it's tough because it's like you know. Um, so I was asked on a different thing to list my top five favorite '90s songs. Oh God, which was different than this, obviously.
1: Oh, uh, I I don't have enough time to think. of that's gonna that that, so, that requires a lot well, of work.
0: I'll give you my top five, and you can give me your top five at the beginning of the next podcast. Okay. All right. And yeah. I actually I'm still not sold that this is actually my top five. But this is what I wrote to my friend. Friend, uh, on his Perfect. Facebook page about a week and a half ago. So I, uh, my number, uh, ironically, none of, uh, only one of the songs is one that we've mentioned so far. Okay. Um, so my number five was In the Meantime by Space yes. Hog. Yes,
1: great song.
0: Number four was Juicy by Notorious B.I.G. Yep. Uh, number three was Bound for the Floor by Local Age. I, I've mm-hmm. always loved that song. Number two was April 29, 1992 by Sublime. I don't know that one. Oh, okay. You should go listen to that. one. I'll like go check that out the, 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 out. the one of my favorite atmospheres in a song ever. It's it's really remarkable. And my and okay. my my favorite '90s song. And I was always, I always get funny looks when I when I mention this one. But to me, it like it's almost not a '90s song in its attitude, but sound wise, it captures everything almost as perfectly as December. And it's "You Get What You Give" by the New Radicals. Yes, uh, I've often argued that's the last '90s song. Uh, because it okay. came it came out very close to the end of the '90s. Yeah, it was
1: '99, I think. It Maybe '98 when it was. It, came it out. was
0: '99. Okay, know? but it's like that's where you get the, there's some difficult dividing lines. It's like the thong song technically came out in 1999. So like, right. wh- Where are the dividing lines really?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, huh? All right. So I will think about. I will come up with my top five. That's that's gonna take a lot of. <laughs> oof.
0: Don't, That's uh, tough. don't 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 uh, yeah don't don't let your brain go too far into that. Uh, you may not come back.
1: Yeah, that 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 this is like the musical equivalent of like going on baseballreference.com and getting a couple a couple levels down, and then you don't know, and and then three days later you come up for air.
0: Think of it as uh, your own private Sporkle.
1: <laughs> oh, nice! I haven't been on Sporkle in a long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to get no grading done between now, between th- this list and Sparkle. So. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so check out the poll that we're going to be, we'll, we'll put up the poll to, to have you vote. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, I think we've helped a lot of people today.
0: I think we have. I, I think this is the sort of quality programming that you get from when you support the flip side.
1: Absolutely. So um, as, as always show notes and uh, everything is at sportsmediaguy.com yeah. on the flip side tab. You can Subscribe on you on iTunes. You can subscribe on uh, um, Stitcher. Stitcher, yep.
0: And don't be shocked if next week you read about the flip size surprise successful bid to purchase Tribune Publishing. It's uh, it's coming, <laughs> folks. Okay, <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first.
1: We don't. We don't want again. We can't say too much at this point. But you know, just you know, it. it I, don't may, be surprised. I may have said
0: too much already. But really.
1: you know, you know, all I'm gonna say is don't be surprised when you see it see in the news. Yes, what you might see in the news. So, that's that's part of why
0: you we need to support really badly right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and
1: they have made some promises. That can't hey,
0: hey, a guy nearly bought the Islanders with the same promises. I think we'll be fine. That's true. So anyway, we'll. Fa- uh, brian is always a pleasure. Thanks to all you folks for listening, and uh we'll catch you on the flip side. So long, everybody. See it.